Chapter 56 Nix the Unkiller The Pidias stared at each other. Don't call an ambulance, Nix said into their faces. Just give me the code word. Code word, she rumbled. Codo, Mr. Pidia said, as if in a trance. Elbow. Mrs. Pidia looked at him sideways. Okay? Nix took a quick look around to make sure no demons had overheard. Kodo, Kodo, Kodo. She couldn't forget the word upon waking, or the Pidias might try to cast her out of her own body. Nix pictured the hospital parking lot, and suddenly it lay around her. The Padillas and her body were miles away. Now that was the way to travel. With her recently developed house-searching technique, Nix found Mrs. Cherry quickly. It helped that the entire room was drowning in evil. As soon as Nix skidded to a stop next to Mrs. Cherry's hospital bed, a fountain of darkness poured out of the inert woman. Nix nearly lost her nerve and returned to her body. No. She had bested this demon once before. She would do it again. Where is Gary Lip? Nick shouted at the darkness. The spirit replied only with hatred. It gushed outward in suffocating waves. Tell me where you put him or I'll kill your host right now. The woman that wasn't a woman finally showed her face. The eyes made Nix feel like she was trapped at the bottom of a well. The demon was so beautiful, it made Nix's entire being shake with envy and desire and mind-erasing terror. You left me a present, the woman said without moving her lips. Nix didn't hear the words as much as feel them rip through her. She instantly understood. The creature referred to Nix's physical body, which was lifeless and ready to accept a new master. Nix lost her train of thought for a second. The demon knew. Somehow it knew exactly where to find Nix's body. You can have it, Nix screamed. If you tell me where you put Gary Lip. A laughter oozed out of the creature that was the exact opposite of every laugh Nix had ever heard. This sound spoke of things no sane human could ever laugh about, things no one could comprehend without losing their mind. In that single parody of a laugh, Nix caught a glimpse of that wrongness, and it nearly made her spin out of control. Tell me! Nix screamed, fully to distract herself from the knowledge she could never unknow. And then the darkness was gone. Mrs. Cherry took a single breath and fell still. Machine alarms blared. A blonde woman stood next to the bed. Nix realized with a start that it was Mrs. Cherry, only younger. Your body is free, Nix said. Get back in, quick. Young Mrs. Cherry shook her head. It was my own decisions that allowed Lamia access. Who cares why she took you over? She's gone now. Get your butt back in there. I promised your husband I would help you. You did help me. The woman floated toward the ceiling. Oh no, you don't. Nix took a half second to build up friction, then grabbed the ghost by the shoulders and slammed her down on the bandaged body. The woman struggled, but Nix reached into Mrs. Cherry's body and gave the flaccid heart two good squeezes. The heart restarted, and the young Mrs. Cherry was effectively sucked back into mortality. I know how you feel, but trust me. You'll thank me later. Now to save her own skin. Chapter 57 Demonica The church was on fire. It looked like someone had lit it from the outside. They'd also shattered the front windows as well. Only emergency lights and flames illuminated the three figures inside. Nix found her body wreathed in black, still half-prone on the couch, both hands around Mr. Pidia's throat. He and his wife beat at Nix's thick arms, but apparently the demon lent Nix's body super strength. Her grip didn't loosen. Nix attempted to dive into her body, but was buffeted back, just like when she'd tried to touch the boy's brains at the Abendroth's. Nix tried the friction thing, but apart from putting out a few of the flames and creating some steam, it didn't accomplish much. The demon had full control over Nix's body. 
Mr. Padilla's face seemed to be puffing up, growing stiff. His eyes took on a glazed quality. Nix's own hands were killing Tiago's father. Get out of her spirit, Mrs. Padilla screamed. She sat back and lifted both arms. Wouldn't you rather have me? Tomo el cuerpo mío. The creature's unlaugh scraped the full length of Nix's spine. It happened in a blinding flurry of red and black. The fat girl fell limply to the floor. Mrs. Padilla convulsed, then flew backward into the wall. Instead of dropping to the floor, she slid slowly up the wall. In the time it took her to reach the ceiling, her lifeless limbs had become taut and muscular. Her pale face twisted until it was somewhere between Mrs. Padilla and the demons. The hair slid off her scalp and fell to the carpet, along with her clothes. Oh dear, Nix tried to look away, but that darn 360 version made it kind of hard. Flowing black fabric appeared from nowhere and wrapped itself around Mrs. Padilla. She looked like a Cirque du Soleil performer, standing in front of an industrial drum fan. Black cloth and darkness shot out in every direction, and Mrs. Padilla's skin glowed white. Tiago's dad fell backward. Ah, crap. This was not going well. Nick suspected she had a better chance of helping as a spirit, but she would not watch herself attempt murder again. She fell back into her body and restarted circulation. The deafening laughter cut off. The fabric and living darkness disappeared. Mrs. Padilla floated silently in the air above them, wearing a look so full of malice that Nix had to look away. Nix's body actually felt less stiff and useless than normal, possibly because Lamia had been kind enough to keep it warm for her. Nix stood on shaky feet and offered her hand to Mr. Padilla. Don't look at her, Nix said. That's not your wife. Mr. Padilla took Nix's hand and stood. Nix made a gesture as if to introduce him to the demon woman floating above him. Now would be a good time to try that exorcism thingy. Apparently that was all he needed, because Mr. Padilla abruptly went from a cowering weakling to the holy vice-bishop or whatever he was. He raised his hand and he shouted in a voice that sounded almost too loud to be real. Te mando en el nombre de Jesucristo que salgas de ella. Mrs. Padilla's body twisted and writhed in the air. Just when Nix was sure the exorcism had failed, Mrs. Padilla hit the ceiling with the force of a head-on collision. Then she fell lifeless to the carpet. This time, Nix heard the scream with her meat ears. It sounded like someone had recorded dying children, then layered them on top of each other, until it resembled a roaring cry of evil which faded, but not quickly enough. Finally, all was silent, except for the crackling flames and Mrs. Padilla's groans. Kodo, Nix said. She directed a weak smile at Mr. Padilla. Now you can call an ambulance. Firefighters tamed the blaze before it did much structural damage. Nix wondered what Mr. Padilla's president guy would think when he saw their chapel. Before the paramedics loaded Mrs. Padilla into the ambulance, she called her husband over and had a brief exchange in Spanish. The medics wanted to take Nix away as well. Although she was totally fine, she didn't really have a place to spend the night, so she hopped into the ambulance behind Mrs. Padilla's stretcher. The back doors banged shut, but not before Nick spotted the outline of a dark figure with lots of hair standing under a tree. An innocent bystander? Or the person who had broken the windows and set the fire? Did that mean Lamia had others working for her? The first person to visit Nix's hospital room was Agent Gary Lip. Well, he came in with Mr. Padilla and Clarissa, the gray spiked-haired nurse. I'm fine, Gary said, just a little dehydrated. Stop fussing. He wore a woman's t-shirt and stretchy pants. His hair was wet, as if he'd just showered. Clarissa scowled and held her nose. I'm not trying to treat you. I'm trying to get you to sign for your visitor's badge. Gary scribbled on the paper. You know these visitor badges can be copied very easily. If I wanted to... Clarissa had already left the room. 
coughing and waving in front of her face. You're safe, Nick said. She hadn't actually expected to see him again. Gary slapped Mr. Padilla on the back. Thanks to this man's lovely wife? Nix looked at Mr. Padilla for an explanation. Mrs. Cherry had been keeping him in an abandoned construction site, tied up and gagged, under a portable restroom. Right on cue, Nix caught a whiff of the familiar pit of death smell and pulled her blanket up to her face. Gary laughed. I showered twice, but I think it may take a while before I'm allowed in polite company. How did they find you? Nix asked through the fabric. Monica figured it out, Mr. Padilla said, after her little powwow with Mrs. Cherry. Nix grinned. Mrs. Padilla had seen the demon's hiding spot. Maybe being possessed wasn't so bad. What was a little hair loss and contusions compared to seeing into the mind of a demon? Mr. Padilla took Nix's hand and squeezed it. We'll have a good long talk later, but for now, thank you. For pulling you into this mess? For trusting us, and helping us save a man's life. Not just any man, Gary said. I've got two grandkids. I know I don't look old enough. People tell me that every day. Mr. Pidia smiled. For helping us save the life of a grandfather. Now I've got to get back to my kids. Last time I left Leandro in charge, he tried to cook spaghetti noodles in the hot tub. That night in her comfy hospital bed, Nix wrote and rewrote her email to the newspaper, trying to make it sound as much like Jordan's as possible. Just before going to sleep, she reread it once more. To whom it may concern. I understand your hesitation in trusting an anonymous source, and I'm sorry I can't give you the names of those responsible for the bald cat prank. I regret that it happened at all, but there are worse things. For instance, I find it disconcerting that you're willing to murder 23 creatures before you've verified their medical condition. Or is our town so cheap that they'd rather kill two dozen cats rather than pay a vet to take a look at one of them? I assure you the money you will save by confirming my claims would be nothing compared to the gratitude of the cats. If you still doubt my reliability as a credible information source, send the police to 539 West Elm Drive. If they are prompt in the oldest son's room, they will find what's left of the WCHS Wolverine statue. Signed, Concerned Citizen, or if you prefer, Argus. It didn't sound quite so scholarly as Jordan's, and she would have to spell check every other word, but it should do the trick. Nix actually slept horribly in the hospital what with nursing coming and going and checking her blood pressure every ten minutes. Mr. Cherry brought Nix home from the hospital the next morning. He seemed very pleased that his wife had woken up acting like her old self, as she'd been years ago, after they were first married. Mr. Cherry asked Nix if she had done something. She shrugged. Just had a little talk with a grumpy ghost. No biggie. Nix arrived early enough to school that she was able to stop by the library and send her email to the paper. Jordan seemed impressed when he read it during first period, although Nix wished he hadn't looked so surprised. Between every few classes, they stopped by the library in case the newspaper happened to reply by email, asking for more information or something. But apart from annoying the library aide, those trips proved unproductive. It did provide Nix with an opportunity to tell Jordan how she'd dragged Tiago's parents into a fight with creatures of darkness. What kind of evil hag imprisoned someone in a porta potty? Jordan asked at lunch. The kind without a nose? Nick said. Us ghosts have to deal without taste or smell. Nix looked around the cafeteria, but still didn't see Tiago. He hadn't shown up for the first four hours, perhaps because his whole family was still reeling from the paranormal excursion the night before. Had Tiago's parents told him everything? Had he put the pieces together and realized Nix had played him for a fool? She hoped not, but it wasn't like she had ever had a chance with him. Maybe he would forget about her deceit in light of her rescue. Well, technically it was his dad that saved his mom. In fact, 
Nyx was the only one that put them both in danger. Maybe she'd give Tiago his space for a few days. During afternoon classes, Nyx could barely focus enough to stay on the same textbook page as the rest of the class. The teacher's voice reduced itself to a low, steady humming as Nyx tossed questions around in her head. Where had Mrs. Cherry's demon gone? Was the government still investigating paranormal activity in Woods Cross? Why had the demon taken Gary prisoner in the first place? Had the people at the newspaper already told the police about the Wolverine? Maybe they were knocking on the door and asking to search the house at that very moment. Or maybe the editors had decided to ignore the anonymous emails and let Chuck get away with it. But they would at least have someone check out the cats, wouldn't they? Or maybe the cats had already been put down. Had her mother left town? Was Quincy Abendroth out there somewhere? You'd think with the ability to fly anywhere unseen, Nix might have a few more of these questions answered. Stupid five-minute rule. She'd need to spend several days out of body if she was going to figure anything out on her own. Nix returned to her foster home to find Mr. Cherry painting the mystical parlor. The purple drapes had been removed, along with all the crystals, symbols, and fortune-telling stuff. Mr. Cherry had always been an upbeat guy, but now he was smiling and gliding around the house like P.B. Herman. Fawn stayed in her room for 90% of the evening, and for the other ten, pretended she could neither see nor hear her foster sister which Nix found quite nice, actually. Mr. Cherry was a bit miffed that his daughters weren't getting along, but the fact that his wife would most likely be coming home in a few days kept him from dissecting the family tension. Jordan called after dinner and told Nix to turn on CBS. Even Fawn came in to watch the hour-long special on the mysterious happenings in Woods Cross, Pennsylvania. McGuckin's footage was played and replayed. Fawn seemed pleased to see herself on national television, even if only running around like a fool and screaming. Even Mr. Hainsworth made an appearance, stating how he'd long believed there were evil spirits in his house. He also made sure to slip in a plug for the law firm he worked for. Nick suspected he had dropped the charges against McGuckin and the Padillas. Extensive footage of the Abendroth mansion was interspersed with Mr. Dibble retelling a grotesque version of the missing family. He wouldn't have any trouble making money off the place now. He had probably already started selling tickets. Love Zerby spoke with the interviewer as if they were old friends. But when she came to her death in threes theory, her voice took on a distinctly mysterious tone. Nix nearly fell off the couch when the camera panned and showed Nix's very own mother sitting at Mrs. Zerby's dining room table. What the flip? Mrs. Wax spoke of bats materializing in her home, and windows shattering for no apparent reason. Fawn put a magazine to her mouth as if trying not to chuckle. Was she trying to infer something about Nix's mother? At least Nix had one. Okay, maybe that was a little harsh. No one mentioned Mrs. Cherry chasing Nix across town, which was probably a blessing. The rest of Nix's foster family seemed relieved by this as well. Long after Nix had hoped to be asleep, she still lay thinking about the TV special. Apparently, the government was no longer trying to cover up the Hainsworth haunting, as it was now being called. Everyone on the video would probably be overnight celebrities. Even Nix's mom had enjoyed her two minutes of fame. Nix, however, who actually helped bring about the showcased paranormal phenomenon wallowed in obscurity. Initially, she had been grateful not to be under the microscope. She very much enjoyed her privacy and anonymity. But a smaller part of her longed to be universally loved and admired. If she were a world-famous house haunter, wouldn't Tiago be more likely to take an interest in her? At one point during her insomnia, Nix felt a strange pull toward the lower right. She peeked over the bed and saw a carpenter ant strolling across the floor. The insect stopped and seemed to peer up at her, Hey, buddy, where's your friend? The ant didn't move. 
or speak to Nyx telepathically. It just sat there watching her. Creepy. A tiny shard of glass caught the light from her bedside lamp. Oh yeah, she'd totally destroyed her windows by plunging the room into sub-zero temperatures, but the panes had already been replaced, and all but that tiny shard had been cleaned up. Nick supposed that was the difference between living in a house and a dumpy trailer. In the former, plastic wrap windows weren't considered an option. Nix hesitantly put a finger on the ground next to the insect. Without hesitation, it climbed onto her finger. She fought the impulse to shudder and flick it across the room. She owed the little guy. She had literally spirited him away from his colony to play a childish prank. Yet without the ants, Nix might not have realized she was living with a monster. Before it was too late, anyway. Great. Now Nix was responsible for two enormous marsupials and at least one bug. What was she supposed to do with all her animal minions? Maybe if she got enough of them, she could start her own circus. A circus was exactly what school was the next day. New faces in the halls, in the parking lot, even in the classrooms. Hordes of ghost enthusiasts had driven all night to be among the first to experience Woods Cross. It certainly didn't hurt that October had dawned and Halloween was fast approaching. Nix thought McGuckin would freak out at all the trespassers and threatening legal action, but he seemed the most excited of anyone to speak to reporters and relive his ghost-hunting adventures with fans. He even pulled Fawn, Sarah, Jordan, and Tiago out of class to answer journalists' questions and meet tourists. Nix wasn't sure why the high school was suddenly the ghost-hunter hub. All the haunting happened elsewhere, but she wasn't complaining. The teachers were too flustered and distracted to teach or assign anything. Mostly students wandered around campus looking for cute out-of-towners to flirt with. Tiago didn't say anything to Nix or Jordan about his mother's recent hair loss. Did he not know she'd spent a few minutes as Satan's bride? Maybe it meant Nix's secret was still safe, that Tiago still thought he had brought Nix back to life with his faith. When they were alone, Jordan whispered to Nix, You realize you're responsible for making both your mothers bald? I also feel guilty about some gum I stole in second grade. You want to shame me for that as well? I didn't say it was a bad thing. Naturally, with Wood's Cross in the world spotlight, the morning paper didn't have so much as a mention of contagious cats or stolen statues. Nix hadn't even heard back from the editors. Jordan convinced her to wait until the ghost fervor had calmed before sending another message. Flooding the newspaper office with emails, he insisted, was not the way to be taken seriously. Jim was even more of a joke than usual. No one bothered to dress out, except for the senior football players who thought it would be funny to change outside in front of the news cameras. That was one thing McGuckin did put the kibosh on. Apparently, the VP wanted Woods Cross to be known for its paranormal activity, not its trashy outdoor skin fest. Once the seniors were again fully clothed, Nix went back into the auditorium and found Jordan, reading the Bible, of all things. Learning anything about demons in there? Only that back in the day, it seems like every other person was full of evil spirits. Makes you wonder. Why they didn't understand mental disabilities in the first century? No. Whether the demons all got together and decided to leave us alone, or if they just learned how to hide in plain sight. Yeah, Lamia was super subtle at the church. Speaking of Ms. Lamia, have there been any more attempts on your life? Nix rolled a basketball back to some boys, one of which actually said thanks. No, but I think from now on, when I ghost travel, I should probably be tied down. That sounds fun. I was also thinking, we should call Tiago's parents. I don't know if they're planning to set up a chat to discuss everything that happened last night, but I was also thinking Mr. Cherry should come too. He pretty much knows everything about me. Apparently, his wife was some kind of all-knowing secret divulger. I would even be okay with Mrs. Cherry sitting in on the meeting. Don't look at me like that. 
She already knows about my abilities. Without the satanic possession, she's just a regular lady. At least, I hope she's not inherently evil. Mr. Cherry would probably warn us. Like he did last time. Nix narrowed her eyes. I was going to invite you as well, but if- Grounded. I see two options. You can either get Mr. Padilla to talk to your dad, or- If Mr. Padilla even agrees to this little demon club meeting. Or we can meet at your house. Jordan laughed loud enough the boys paused their basketball game. And tell my dad what? A girl and four grown adults are going to chill in my room for a bit? Worst case scenario, we could tell your dad everything. That would be the worst case. I know him. If there were demons to be battled and risks to be taken, he would move us to Wyoming. And if he knew you were involved in all the hauntings around town, he'd probably put you in jail. Jordan was being ridiculous, but he was probably right about his dad not wanting his son involved. And would Sergeant Frost feel obligated to tell the chief everything? Although, Jordan said, you might feel differently if we called it community service. Don't see why we couldn't. We should start a non-profit called the Spirit of Woods Cross. Nick stood and dusted the dirt off her legs. Sometimes I wish you could be slightly less ambitious. What's the point of focusing on our education? Jordan said. I think it's time we took control of this town. Sure, while I try to save it, you take it over. We'll see who wins, and just to warn you, I've got like six superpowers. I wonder why Mrs. Padilla went bald when Lamia went into her, but Mrs. Cherry didn't. That was a random topic change. You ponder that while I find a phone. Ms. Winkle allowed Nix to use her cell, but only after Nix swore the bruises on her arm were from carrying heavy boxes at work. Would Ms. Winkle have even believed the truth? These bruises? Oh, Mr. and Mrs. Padilla did this to me, but I totally deserved it. Alejandro probably had bruises on his throat. The thought made Nix feel kind of hardcore, also humiliated. Conveniently, Nix still had the Padilla number tattooed to her arm. Tiago's parents readily agreed to meet for a demon chat. They set it for lunchtime the following day. Mrs. Padilla suggested that they meet at the library. They scheduled one of the conference rooms. Jordan planned to bring his books to study afterward, so he wouldn't have to lie to his dad. Nix didn't mention that for Sergeant Frost, the idea of Jordan studying would raise all kinds of red flags. Nix fell asleep in sixth period, probably because sleeping hadn't been high on her priority list lately. Jordan usually let her nap, only prodding her awake when a teacher stared suspiciously in their direction or when the final wolverine growl failed to rouse her, which is why Nix awoke irritated and confused when Jordan nearly pushed her out of her chair. Why'd you wake me up? Nix asked. Mr. Slowey is still out making copies. Jordan pointed outside. Guess who's here? Nix hobbled to the window. The bright sunlight hurt her eyes and made her head throb. Where? I don't see any. At the far end of the parking lot sat a blue Mustang convertible. (laughs) 